0: This is Pulse ninety five. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats. with Sally Musa, only on Pulse ninety five.
1: Hello, Allah, and welcome to Life Beats on Pulse ninety five. Today, you'll hear the extraordinary story of Fred Hollows, a man who restored sight to a million people around the world, and whose mission continues to this day through the foundation that carries his name. I sat down with Alison Hill, global head of communications for the Fred Hollows Foundation to learn more about the global crisis of avoidable blindness and the work that the Fred Hollows Foundation is doing to not only restore sight, but to train local doctors that are making a difference to entire communities and helping to break the cycle of poverty. It's a show you don't want to miss right here on Pulse 95.
0: This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa.
2: Only on Pulse 95. 95. Humans care for each other. We look after the weak, the young, the sick. And the old. It's a bloody good hand, Jack. It's a ripper. <laughs> Hang on a minute, I want to get you. The Australian of the Year for 1990 is Professor Fred Hollis. If the work you're doing is good work and somebody's criticising it, go on and do it. We only had two meetings and it was set up within 10 days of the first meeting. He said, Let's do it. Who worked in it remembers to this day what good work it was because it was once you got into it, you realized how necessary this work was, and restoring sight to blind Aborigines was just a tremendous thing to be doing. If doing good's preventing people going blind and curing curable blindness, I don't care what they call me. What did he say? He says we can see quite well. <laughs> What Vietnam has to have is the means of taking out cataracts and putting in intraocular lenses, spread far and wide throughout this country. Teach the teachers first, and then the teachers can teach others. Look at that work we're doing there this morning. Good work, good honest work. How many people have the opportunity to be part of that? Knowing that this is a process that's going to go on, those people are going to be training others and they're going to be training others and so on, you know, so it's exciting stuff, long after you're gone. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> a group of friends and supporters have set up what they call the Fred Hollows Foundation. I'm a little bit embarrassed about the name. Basically, the foundation is to carry on work that I have been involved with and some work that we'd like to get involved with.
1: That was the legendary ophthalmologist Dr Fred Hollows, a man of extraordinary character and vision whose namesake foundation has now helped more than 2.5 million people around the world to see and counting. The indomitable Fred Cossum Hollows was born in 1929 in Dunedin, New Zealand, and whose love of science led him to study medicine and later becoming Associate Professor of Ophthalmology at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. Working all over Australia with the Aboriginal communities revealed to Fred the shocking standard of healthcare available to them, particularly concerning eye health. He was especially disturbed by the huge number of adults and children suffering from blind trachoma, a disease rarely seen in other parts of Australia. These experiences drove Fred Hollows on a lifetime mission to fight for better access to healthcare in vulnerable communities All over the world. Dr. Fred Hollows died in 1993, but not before transforming more than a million lives through his work. And through the Fred Hollows Foundation, millions more are discovering the priceless joy of sight. I sat down with Alison Hill, Global Head of Communications at the Fred Hollows Foundation, to learn more about the man and the global crisis of avoidable blindness and the work that the foundation is doing to not only restore sight, but to train local doctors to make a difference to entire communities and to help break the cycle of poverty. Alison Hill from Fred Hollows Foundation, what an absolute pleasure it is to have you here in the UAE once again. Thank you, it's great to be here. Now, uh, for those who don't know the Fred Hollows Foundation, of course, you know, this has been around for decades. I remember watching, um, you know, the late Fred Hollows uh, on his mission as a young girl back in Australia. He's, of course, Australian. Uh, Tell us a bit more about him and his mission.
3: So Fred Hollows was a really famous Australian eye doctor and he believed that everyone, no matter where they lived in the world, had the right to good eyesight. And so he started working in Australia with Aboriginal people, the traditional owners of the land in Australia, and he realised that they had a massive gap between the eye health care that they got and the eye health care that other Australians received and so he started working in the 1970s going around to Aboriginal communities and he actually uh, set up a a big program with the backing of the government uh, and halved the rate of Indigenous blindness by going and treating people for the terrible diseases that they had. That sparked the World Health Organisation to say hey come and work with us and have a look at eye health in countries like Nepal and he was again struck by the fact that people in poor countries didn't have the the same access to eye health as people in rich countries and he thought that was unjust and so he made it his life's mission to uh, try and close that gap in eye health and so when he was uh, diagnosed with cancer and it became clear that he wasn't going to survive uh, he and his wife Gabby set up the Fred Hollows Foundation and it was 26 years ago that they established the foundation and uh, and so our mission is to keep Fred's vision alive of uh, and our our vision vision for the world is a world in which no person is needlessly blind exactly and that is the key word needlessly blind because this is avoidable blindness What do we mean when we're talking about avoidable blindness and how big is the problem? So there are 36 million people in the world who are blind, 15 million in this region, the Middle East, uh, North Africa region, and four out of five of those people don't need to be blind. Their blindness can be treated and can be cured. And so avoidable blindness is the fact that people don't have access to eye health care, so that if they lived in a rich country, they wouldn't be blind, they would go to the doctor, they would have the treatment that they need and their blindness would be fixed. It would be routine. It would be routine and and most blindness in the world is caused by cataract and most people have heard of cataract because if you live to be old enough, you'll probably get cataract. It's a clouding um, of the lens of the eye and in countries like the UAE uh, or Australia or the United States, you go and you go to the doctor and you have a relatively simple surgery and your blindness is fixed but in developing countries, People don't have that opportunity and so they remain blind. It's just, it's shocking to think that this happens. So
1: in terms of the causes of blindness, what are we looking at here? There's cataracts. Yeah,
3: so cataract is by far the largest cause of blindness. And two of the other big ones that people might not know about are uncorrected refractive error. So when you need glasses and it gets really bad. So most of us, as we get into our, you know, late 30s, early 40s, we'll start to need glasses. And it's just a little bit blurry. Um, but when you haven't needed, when you've needed glasses for years and you haven't had them can get to the point where you really can't see a thing and so that's a really big one Um, and then uh, people with diabetes can have a thing called diabetic retinopathy which basically means if you've got diabetes you need to have your eyes checked regularly it's entirely preventable and can be fixed but if you don't have eye checks you can go blind and once you go blind from diabetes you can't have that fixed so if you have diabetes and growing numbers of people have diabetes so please make sure you regularly get your eyes checked if you have diabetes so they're the three big ones and then in um, a lot of developing countries there's a disease called trachoma and it's the leading infectious cause of blindness so people might have heard of things like conjunctivitis or pink eye or eye infections well this one is one that if you get the infection uh, enough times it actually scars the inside of your eyelid turns your eyelid inside out and the lashes scratch on your cornea until you go blind so it's incredibly painful and you blink about nineteen thousand times a day. So imagine every time you blink, your eyes are being scratched by your eyelashes. And so uh, we're doing a major project in Ethiopia, where the world's leading um, cause of uh, leading leading burden of blindness, trachoma blindness, is in Ethiopia. About forty four percent of the world's cases of, of uh, trachoma are in Ethiopia. Um, Why and are they particularly bad? Because of poverty, yeah. and it's a disease where lack of water and lack of sanitation is a real problem. So. Mm-hmm. Um, It's a country where if if you don't have water you can't wash your face and wash your hands and if there's no toilets then there's um, the problem of flies spreading disease and so one of the things that that we need to do so obviously we can treat that with the the antibiotics, we can give surgery to those people who've had that repeated infection so that they don't go blind but we also need to improve the water and sanitation so extra um, wells, extra pumps for water in communities so people don't have to walk 10 or 20 kilometres to get water water so that they're more likely to want to wash their faces and their clothes Um, because if you have to carry the water such a long distance then you're going to use it for cooking and you're going to use it for drinking but you're not going to use it for for the hygiene factors Um, so building more water points and and latrines is really important for trachoma it's just like you've got to have a holistic solution that's not just one thing that's right and the benefits of doing that work with water and sanitation is it improves general health as well as eyesight so that's really good it means that children are less likely to get sick and interestingly the antibiotics that are used to treat trachoma also improve child health and reduce child mortality as well so it not only improves eyesight but it actually has an overall benefit for the community so um, it's a really massive problem that's existed in Ethiopia and the exciting thing is the global community is working really hard together on that one and we've sort of all divided up the country. We work in the biggest region called Oromia, and have the world's largest trachoma program right there in, uh, in Ethiopia and so it's, it's exciting. We, we hope we'll have eliminated the disease. The, the, the our aim is by 2020. I think it'll probably be closer to 2025 by the time we do it but the global community is really committed to trying to get rid of that ancient disease forever.
1: Coming up, Allison talks about the incredible ripple effect of training doctors and the exponential economic gains to restoring sight in vulnerable communities.
0: This is Pulse ninety five. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats. Life Beats with Sally Musa, only on Pulse ninety five. ninety five
1: it's Life Beats and I'm speaking to Alison Hill about the work of the Fred Hollows Foundation Worldwide to eradicate unnecessary blindness. And here she tells me more about the exponential economic gains to restoring sight. We've talked about the fact that four out of five people who are blind don't need to be. It's already, you know, an epidemic in some parts, but give us the numbers in terms of what we're going to be
3: seeing if this doesn't get fixed. Yeah, so, as you say... Um, unfortunately it's getting worse because by the year 2050 blindness will triple if we don't do more to stop it so the number of blind people will grow from 36 million to 115 million people um, and people say to me why is it going to grow so much well it's because of the fact that our population the world population is growing but we're also aging so the wonderful thing about people's health care improving in different parts of the world is people are living longer we know how to keep people alive longer and the longer you live the more likely you are to get a cataract and so that's one of the uh, downsides of the of the uh, aging population the increasing population is the fact that the eye health needs of the population will continue to grow and so that's why we're saying we can't just keep doing things the way they are we've got to invest more in eye health to make sure we improve the situation for people particularly in developing countries because 90 percent of the people who are blind uh, avoidably blind. Live in developing countries. But we're also talking here about an economic cost. The economic cost of uh, restoring site, in fact, is huge. That's right. It's it's we did a survey recently with PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is a, a is a big accounting firm that looked at the cost of sight and the cost of restoring site. and they found that for every $1 invested in eye health, there was a $4 return to the community in terms of economic growth because of what it means is that the person who is blind can go back to work and support their family, but also it's often a young person who has to stay home and care for a blind relative and more often than not that that's a young girl who doesn't get to go to school and so there's a cycle of poverty that happens if you don't restore someone's sight um, and also it, it's, it's disproportionately women that are impacted um, by blindness. Why is that? Yeah, it is there's a couple of factors. Biologically women tend to live longer so that's one of the reasons but more often than not it's actually because um, still in most countries where this is a problem men are in charge of the family finances. Men are the main uh, income earners and so often when their health is prioritised over a woman's health. So if the man is earning money and not very much money because it's a poor country, taking time off work to take his wife to the the, uh, hospital is not something the family can afford, so they don't do that. There's also the situation where if you have an eye camp and everyone turns up to have their treatment, men generally are a bit pushier than women (laughs) and they push their way to the front of the line and women get shuffled to the back. So even some of the simple strategies we're doing is to make sure that there's a line for the men and a line for the women and we see one woman, one man, one woman, one man, so that we get an equal access to eye health for women. Um, and as I said, the other thing is that uh, young girls are disproportionately affected because they more often than not are the carers of blind relatives. Yeah, of course. Even in developed countries,
1: uh, you you see women, we we put ourselves last in terms of health. That's right. We put our families first and then it's always us last. But tell me about the numbers
3: of of people around the world that the Fred Hollows Foundation has actually been able to help. It's it's pretty astounding when you think about the last 26 years. We've restored sight to 2.5 million people, which is phenomenal on its own. But the unknown or the, the extra impact that we've had is that our philosophy is that it's important to train local people to deliver services. So it's not about flying in an American doctor or Australian doctor or the doctor from the UAE to a poor country. It's about training the local doctors. And a great example I can give is when Fred was, uh, just before he passed away, he went to Vietnam and he said to the doctors there, how many of you know how to do the modern cataract surgery? And two of them put their hand up. And he said, how many of them if you want to know how to do it? And they all put their hand up. And so he was determined to train doctors. And so So he committed to training 300 doctors and the foundation carried out that that promise. And recently we went back to Vietnam and met uh, a doctor called Dr. Bin from uh, Da Nang. And he had gone on, he was one of the first ones in that training group, he'd gone on to train 100 doctors himself. And one of those doctors told us that he had trained 300 more doctors. And so they're the ripple effects that can happen um, and the great impact you can have by, as Fred used to say, teach the teachers and then they can teach others. And that's what we're about. So to know the overall impact is really difficult, but we know that directly we've restored sight to at least 2.5 million people. And last year alone, we trained 100,000 doctors, nurses and community health workers to deliver that eyesight.
1: Coming up, Alison shares with me some incredible stories where people, both young and old, have been given sight through the work of the Fred Hollows Foundation, and how that has changed not only their lives but the lives of entire communities. Incredible, heartwarming stories. Next.
0: This is Pulse ninety five. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast life beats life beats with Sally Musa only on pulse 95.
1: 95 imagine a 15 minute routine eye operation that can restore sight to the needlessly blind this is what the Fred Hollows Foundation has been doing for the past 26 years for more than 2.5 million people Allison Hill from the foundation shares with me here some of the incredible stories of those who have been given their sight back and how it's changed them, their families and their communities. Give me a few stories of on the ground
3: how that's changed you know people's lives and communities it's it's really fantastic because when you think about those numbers it's really hard to imagine but when you realize that each one of those is an individual and is a person and they all have a story and so there are a number of patients that I've been fortunate enough to meet over the years and and uh, every time I see the patches come off and someone have their sight restored it's incredibly empowering and moving for me Um, there are a couple that really stand out one is a, a, a lady from Rwanda called Francine and uh, she was a widow uh, in her 60s and she was really housebound. She couldn't take herself to the toilet because the toilet was sort of a a pit toilet outside. She couldn't cook food because cooking involved an open flame and so it was just too dangerous and so she'd been relying on the the generosity of her friends and her um, people in the community around her to care for her. So when she was taken a couple of hours to the hospital uh, in Kigali in the capital uh, she had her sight restored and when the patches came off she was so excited she was running around the hospital screaming out to people I can see I can see and uh, when we took her back to the village the whole village turned out because they thought some sort of miracle had happened they didn't think it was possible because people often don't realize that they can have their sight restored and they were all grabbing in her cheeks and her face and saying you can see we can't believe you can see and so not only does that transform her life but it gives the community real hope and hopefully it improves the education because that's another factor if people don't know that blindness can be fixed then they don't seek out help and so by changing the life of one person in that community if someone else gets cataract then they know that something can be done and that they don't have to live with that condition so she's one woman that really um, has always captured my heart Um, and I think the other thing that's always special is when you uh, meet children who are blind and get their sight back and the first person And I ever met and saw have their sight restored was a little girl in Kenya called Faith and uh, she had sadly been abandoned by her parents because they couldn't afford to care for a blind child and they thought there was nothing that could be done and so they took her and left her with her auntie um, Helen and Helen was told by everyone in the community this is God's will there's nothing that can be done you just have to deal with it, you just have to look after her. And she didn't believe that. She said, no, there's got to be something we can do. And so she put faith on her back and carried her 20 foot, 25 kilometres to the nearest health clinic. And thankfully, there was a Fred Hollows Foundation-trained health worker there who said it looks like cataract and we can fix that and so the foundation took her five hours to the nearest eye hospital where child surgery could be done because paediatric surgery is a little more complicated than uh, for adults and they took her to a doctor that we had trained and she had the um, cataracts removed and of course the next day she could see and the first thing she said was give me a pen I want to go to school. She was only three but she knew that she wanted to go to school and she said to her auntie I want to go to school so that I can learn and then I can build you a better house because her auntie had cared for her so much so they're just two stories of people whose lives are uh, changed forever um, because of the support that we get for the Fred Hollows Foundation. It just really like it just really puts in the picture
1: like you said if people if an entire community doesn't realize that it is possible to cure Mm -hmm. blindness if they don't know how, how would you ever have that hope you know? until yeah. one person does it and then that changes that's right.
3: everything. And it's why training community health workers is such an yeah. important part of our our um, work because it's not just that we need the doctors to do the surgery, of course, that's the yeah. most important cog in the wheel, but you can have a million doctors if people don't know that they need to get to the doctors and they can't afford to get to the doctors, yeah. then that's a, uh, a break in that chain. Mm. And so for us training community health workers who are at at that community level. And a, a really good example is uh, in Bangladesh where we have been working with the maternal and child health workers. So they have programs where the maternal workers go door to door to look after the mums and the babies. And so we've actually trained those workers in basic eye health. We've given them some, um, some training so that they can recognise there's a cataract or there's, they can't fix it, but they know to say to someone, but we can fix that. You they should go to the, the yeah, you could yeah. go to the hospital and, and something like a cataract, I can spot a cataract and right. I'm a, I'm a communications person. I've got zero yeah. medical training, but I've seen enough of them now yeah. that I can spot a cataract at fifty paces almost if it's bad enough. Right. Um, and so being able to get community health workers and people who are already involved in doing other great Um, health work, Mm. giving them some really basic sort of two weeks of training on eye health and then getting them to be those people who are referring and telling people and educating the community on the fact that this can be fixed. Is this like across the board, like across
1: ages, across everybody can get treatment?
3: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, four out of five cases. And so uh, people often say, why do children get cataract? Because it's usually considered a disease of ageing. And it is much, much more common in older people than in younger people. Um, there's a couple of factors with children, it's, it's often um, malnutrition, um, lack of vitamin A, things like a uh, mother coming into contact with rubella when she's pregnant. So there's some of those factors which you don't tend to see in rich and developed countries which you see much more often in the poorer countries. People in poorer countries also tend to get cataracts younger, so whereas in a country like Australia you don't tend to see it until people are 60 or 70 uh, years old. In some of the developing countries you start to see people with cataracts at 40 to 50 years old and that's generally again because of um, their diets over the over time they've they've often had uh, more um, problems you know things like diarrhea that causes you know malnutrition and so they they often get cataract a little younger than we get it in some of the western countries and so um, telling people that they can get that problem fixed is really important. Of course Fred Hollows
1: is all over the world 25 different
2: countries
1: That's I right. believe. yeah um and so coming up next allison recently visited bangladesh and shares with us the incredible conditions that rohingya refugees are facing as well as what the foundation is doing in southeast asia and the middle east
0: this is pulse 95 you're listening to the life beats podcast Life Beats Life Beats. with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. 95.
1: It's Life Beats on Pulse 95 and I'm talking to Alison Hill of the Fred Hollows Foundation about the incredible work that they're doing to restore sight worldwide. I asked Alison about their work to alleviate the Rohingya refugee crisis and particular areas of focus here in the Middle East. Fred Hollows is all over the world. 25 different countries, That's I believe. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, where would you say a kind of the more acute cases that we're seeing of? Really serious problems, and
3: what do you think needs to be done? So, um, the greatest burden of blindness is actually in uh, Asia, Southeast Asia, um, places like China, which is unsurprising given the size of the population. About twenty percent of the world's blind people actually live in China, and it's generally in rural and remote areas. Again, so the health system in in the cities is pretty good, um, Southeast Asia as well. But in this region, about fifteen million people are blind, um, and. The thing that we need to do is, is, and one of the things that we're focused on is advocating to governments that they really need to invest more resources into eye health. Um, and because it's not something that charities alone can fix, we can help, um, but it really requires governments to realise the value of investing in eye health and prioritising it along with all of the other important health factors. And so, you know, a good example is we've been working in Pakistan for 20 years now, and we've been working closely with the Pakistan. Government. We work closely with governments because we want to strengthen health systems. We don't want to set up separate things that are exclusive to the health system. We actually want it all to be included with healthcare. And uh, in that 20 years uh, in Pakistan, we've halved the rate of blindness in Pakistan, not just the Fred Hollows Foundation, but us working with Mm. government and other agencies. And the Pakistan government has recently invested about 50 million US dollars in eye health because they've seen the enormous benefit, and we talked about the cost benefit earlier they've seen how um, this is a great investment. It's one of the best investments you can make in, in uh, healthcare care in terms of bang for your buck. Mm. And uh, so they've said we'll really invest in that. So it's really important for us to work with governments and to encourage them to uh, make it a priority. Palestine in this region is quite a, a, a big focus point for for Fred Hollows. Tell us about that. That's right. We're working in Palestine with um, St. John of Jerusalem Eye Hospital. They've been in Palestine for decades and do fantastic work. And so we're supporting both a nurse training school there as well as outreaches. And obviously, travelling can be very difficult and movement can be very difficult for the people there. So one of the things we work with St. John on is some mobile clinics and also helping people get to and from um, the eye hospital. So Mm -hmm. every country we work in, essentially the problem is the same but some of the symptoms and causes and and barriers can mm-hmm. be slightly different so that's why we're really all about working with local people right. because we take the advice of the experts who live there you know we don't sort of in australia decide how best to help the people of palestine you don't fly we don't fly in fly, country, in, fly yeah. out yeah we say to st john you guys are the experts you've been you on know. the ground for years how can we best support you to do the work with the local people Obviously, one of the biggest crises that we have
1: seen is the humanitarian one with the Rohingya refugees currently in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. And you've actually been there. You've seen what's going on. Mm -hmm. Tell us
3: what you're seeing there. Mm, So I've been to Bangladesh, to the the camps three times uh, this year. So we started working, uh, we've been in Bangladesh for 10 years. The Fred Hollis Foundation's been working there for 10 years with the the local community. And so we're well established in Bangladesh. And when the refugees started to arrive, uh, August last year was when the big influx came. Um, We obviously waited until the immediate emergency needs of shelter and housing had started to, and and food had started to, To um, settle and then we said right we need to have a look at what the eye health situation is for the refugees um, because we suspected that there would be significant problems Um, and when they held the first screening camp uh, they were overwhelmed by the number of people about six times as many people were blind as in the rest of the Bangladesh community which already has one of the highest rates of unoperated cataract anywhere in the world and um, doctors now estimate about 50,000 of the refugees uh, as well as all the other issues they had are also blind and so the foundation started a project with the local Bhattachara Hospital there um, to start a restoring sight to the refugees. We've seen about a thousand already have their sight restored and uh, a number of other organizations have now joined the push to help uh, get the refugees um, treated because when I met and spoke to a number of the people and I said to them have you ever been to an eye doctor before most of them said they'd never been to a doctor before much less an eye doctor. They didn't have access to health care uh, in Rakhine State in Myanmar and so this was the first time they'd had a chance to, uh, to see a doctor and particularly an eye doctor. And this is before the
1: crisis, that like you know obviously before mm-hmm. becoming refugees you know they didn't have access to doctors before that. That's right. And now you know with everything that's going
3: on you know with the compounding trauma of what they're going through. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I met quite a number and spoke to quite a number of individual refugees, and the stories they had were just incredibly harrowing. Where they'd um, had family members shot and killed, and they'd had to flee, and most of them had fled for 12 to 14 days through the jungle, across the rivers, while also being blind. I mean, imagine how hard that journey would be if you could see where you were going, much less if you were blind. And so there were women whose um, teenage children had had to carry them or who had relied on the the goodness of strangers or others to help them get there. And, you know, there was basically not a person I met who hadn't had a really harrowing story. And to be blind on top of that, And I, I met one man who said he felt like he had been unable to protect his family because he was blind and now that he had his sight restored his great wish was that his daughter could become an aid worker to help more people because he just felt like that he wanted to give something back because his life had been changed by the fact that he had his eyesight restored even though he was living in these terrible conditions in the refugee camp just another light of hope Mm. for them that's right you know when they can get that sorted out and fixed exactly and it doesn't solve all of their problems and we can't solve all of the problems but if we can give them their sight back that just is something that we can do and that is as I said relatively simple it's a you know 15 minute operation and someone can see again and uh, if we can do that why wouldn't we that's incredible when you think it's just it's so simple it's Mm. so routine 15 minutes
1: they're done they can see and then that just changes everything absolutely amazing work we can't you know emphasize that enough um, what are your hopes for the future, for this region, for what's to come for the Fred Hollows Foundation?
3: Well, eventually we'd like to not exist anymore because there's a world where there is no blindness, that that everyone who can get eyesight does. Um, that's a long way off. And so what we want to do is to keep raising awareness of the issue, to let as many people know. And if, if people can, if your listeners can tell their friends about our work and spread the word that if they do have eye health problems, they should go and see about the problems. There there is help available. That's really important. Um, But what we're going to continue to do is keep trying to raise as much money as we can, work with local governments wherever we work and improve the health system so that we don't leave anyone behind, so that the poorest people in the world get the same access to eye health care as those living in in wealthy countries. Because that was what Fred Hollows was all about. As I said, he, he had this view that it didn't matter whether you were the Prime Minister or the King or the poorest person in the community, you should have exactly the same treatment if you go to a hospital and so that is ultimately our aim we're a world where no one is needlessly blind how do people find out more Uh, if you go to hollows.ae our website and of course fred hollows on all of the social media channels as well Uh, and if you want to see one of those fantastic moments where someone can see again that's all on our website and also on our youtube channel and stuff amazing Alison Hill what an absolute pleasure thank you so much thank you so much for having us thank you
1: That was Alison Hill of the Fred Hollows Foundation talking about the work that they are doing to make sure that no one has to suffer from avoidable blindness. Just phenomenal work. Coming up next, Mr. and Mrs. Muscle are back, and we are talking carb cycling as well as weight training versus cardio.
0: This is Pulse 95.
2: Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.